Hi everyone, I'm Greg Lowe from Down Under in Australia. Cosmos Down Under is a production from SQL Down Under. Cosmos DB is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions and views expressed in the podcast are individual and don't necessarily reflect the opinions and views of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 5 with guest Charles Federson. Welcome. Our guest today is Charles Federson. Charles is a Group Program Manager at Microsoft and involved with Azure Cosmos DB for Postgres. So welcome, Charles. Thanks for having me. Pleased to be here. So as I do with everyone, just quickly, who are you? Where do you fit in? And how did you come to be there? Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, my name is Charles Federson. I've been at Microsoft for a little over 10 years working in a number of different capacities, but consistent uh, consistent throughout all of it is working on distributed database systems. And so just recently at Ignite, we now launched uh, Azure Cosmos DB for Postgres. My role is really leading the product management team to first release and now evolve that product uh, in the distributed SQL market. Fabulous. And look, I suppose a good question first up is just even where you think the Postgres market is at the moment? Oh, it's, it's a great question. You know, mm. I think uh, it's there's. I think there's little doubt that the the, the popularity of Postgres in the market is is growing uh, and growing mm-hmm. quite rapidly. There's a few industry sort of yardsticks that you can measure this by. One of the good ones is the Stack Overflow Developer Survey. Mm. Uh, 2022 shows that amongst respondents, developer respondents. Postgres is now the most popular open source database mm. amongst any of the you know, alternatives. And that's sort of moved past MySQL, I think it is, for the first time. So yeah. there's clearly a ton of mind share in the market. Uh, the extensibility of model for, model for Postgres is really interesting to developers. Mm. And you see it applied in a variety of scenarios. Uh, things like geospatial with PostGIS are incredibly yep. popular for Postgres. So you know, very, very popular technology. And, and uh, we've got a lot of demand. What do you generally put the popularity of that down to? Because you mentioned the most looking like becoming the most popular of the open source ones uh, more and more. But if you take open source out of the question compared to the commercial relational database offerings, what's what's your thinking? I think it's it's difficult to separate them too much. I think that you know, we think about relational databases in and of themselves. You know, they've been present in, in every application we've been building for 30 plus years mm. right now. You know, you think about you know, Microsoft SQL you know, dating back to the 90s, you know, other commercial vendors as well. And those you know, remain the cornerstone of, of many enterprise uh, or applications and will we'll do so. I think Postgres really is interesting. Postgres in particular is interesting to developers, like I mentioned, for that that extension model, the mm. ability to, at the limit, effectively contribute your own extensions back to the community using the hooks that are built into Postgres itself. Mm. And you know, that, in- that introduces a variety of, of new scenarios that the database can do. I mentioned, I mentioned geospatial as one, you know, but there are some very powerful capabilities for uh, indexing semi-structured data. And so as you know, modern apps 
take larger dependencies or dependencies on structures like JSON instead mm -hmm. of basic types like you know, ints and floats and strings that we're all yeah. very familiar with. Yeah, that indexing makes it incredibly efficient to run those applications at scale, mm. but in the very common, I should say, very familiar confines of that relational database, which we all still feel very comfortable and familiar with. Mm. So I think I think that's really a large part of what's driving the popularity. And I think yeah. the cloud finally has made it very accessible for people to run it with with support, which yeah. is you know not something that's been always accessible. Yeah, I think in the, in the case of extensibility, it's really interesting you mention that because like over the decades now, I've been involved with SQL Server. Whenever we used to have internal meetings with the product group, I, I would always find myself being the one in the room, putting my hand up saying, but how do I build one of those or how do I add one of those and so on. And it, it's just interesting that extensibility in many of the pieces of tooling and stuff were was always kind of like a thing that might come in version two, but then didn't ever come. You know, it was the extensibility. And and uh, I often used to wonder if, if it was just me who so valued the extensibility or not, or whether, whether that was a more widespread requirement. And, and I think largely because I always had this, from a developer background, had this fear of getting stuck, you know? So it was sort of this feeling like if um, what was provided to me was almost enough, then if I could extend it, I'd, I'd be able to fill in the gaps myself if something was missing. But, mm. if it, but if it didn't have the extensibility, you'd have this, you know, you get most of the way there, but then not be able to finish what you're trying to do or, or not in the way that you'd intend. Sure. Yeah. No, look, I think, I think that's a good point. I mean, and extensibility in and of itself, you can, you can think of it in different ways. Your SQL server, you had other ways you could think about extensibility. I mean, if I sort of think about some of the things you could do in CLR, for example, you know, there's mm -hmm. been some relatively complex implementations that are, that are implemented quite cleanly mm -hmm. where you've got access to implementing CLR. Uh, but your Postgres, when you think about extensibility, actually building these sort of these, these extensions that you can call via SQL functions. Mm. Uh, and in fact, you know, in, in Cosmos DB, the, the, the entire distributed SQL capabilities of, of sharding tables, for example, mm. is built on these functions. You, you, yep. you run select statements using extension functions to, to distribute data across the cluster. Mm. And I think that's, that's the, the familiarity of that is, is part of something that makes it so compelling to developers. Mm. Okay, so that then brings us to, in terms of Cosmos DB, why would someone want to use this implementation as opposed to the Azure SQL DB Postgres options? Yeah, so the the key difference here is architecturally the key difference between Azure Database for Postgres Flexible Server, which is really the other one that we're comparing against, hmm. is that it's a single node implementation. And single nodes scale very well to a certain point, at which at which you know, point in time you 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 run out of resources, right? And you know, one thing we know about database systems is that workloads have very different characteristics, and they can put different pressure on a system depending on the nature of that workload. Now, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples here. So, mm -hmm. you know, we we absolutely know that you could have an incredibly CPU intensive workload that's operating over a relatively small amount of data, and so 
Everything will stay in cache. You won't hit I.O. too much, but you just run out of CPU. And so when you start to scale up, you know, the largest VMs are around about 100 cores or something in the cloud, and then you're done. Right? You need to start looking at how you can move that outwards. Hmm. You could have another workload that actually, and this is a more sort of maybe, I would say it's analytics, but it's it's sort of the more pattern where you've got your, a more diverse set of data that you're working over. It could be less CPU intensive, but you're constantly sort of putting pressure on those cache hit ratios and reading from disk, and you really need more memory. Again, a single scale will only get you so, so far there. And so Cosmos DB offers distributed Postgres, where mm -hmm. to the end user and to the application, it, it looks like Postgres, a single connection string. You run the same queries that you would on a regular Postgres box. Yep. But the distributed SQL engine in the middle there, which is actually built on um, technology that, that we call Citus, is the extension, enables us to fan that query out to execute it on some nodes, if it only needs some nodes to run because mm. uh, the data is only on some of the nodes, or across the totality of, of the cluster. Yeah. And when you build a well-architected distributed system that can co-locate a lot of work onto each machine, then the scalability of that to simply incrementally add nodes is, is phenomenal. And that's mm. your point, I think, earlier, Greg, about you know, being worried that you sort of you can't get, can't quite finish, or maybe aren't quite as future-proof as you'd like to be. You know, we see a lot of customers starting on very small implementations, but they, they grow over time as the, the workload dynamics change or it just gets more popular. Mm. And so the side of thing was basically bringing in distributed tables effectively. Distributed tables, yes. Uh, there's actually two types of table. There's a distributed table, which, which we shard across nodes, and then there's a, a reference table, which creates a replica on each node as well. And the benefit of replica tables combined with distributed tables is that when you have a you know, multi-table join, you can often co-locate the entire join onto each node and minimize the data movement, um, yep. which, which makes things go faster because you're not moving stuff over the network. But the second thing it gives you is distributed query execution. So that Citus uh, as, as an engine will, will intercept that incoming query and understands how to execute that across the underlying cluster as well. So mm. from a user's perspective, the bit that they see and, and work with is the, 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 the distributing of tables, but the transparent part is the, the query execution. When they introduced the MongoDB API for Cosmos DB, I remember people used to joke about it uh, trying to out Mongo Mongo um, in that regard. Uh, so do you think this has actually produced a better Postgres than Postgres? Uh, that's a... Yeah, it's a good question. Hmm? I, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the it depends card on this one. Yeah, uh, and the, the reason for that is when when you get into distributed systems, there are some things that fundamentally don't scale well. And again, I'll give you a couple of examples. If you're defining foreign key relationships between tables, and that foreign key check needs to happen across the nodes, then think about high throughput OLTP systems. They're going to slow down dramatically. Right, needing mm -hmm. to do all that. The same thing with a unique index. Yeah, enforcing a globally unique index. If I insert a record on one node and I need to check every other node for that record, you know, that's that's tough, right? Mm -hmm. Or the value about I shouldn't say that record, a value in that record uh, specifically. Yeah. Um, and so those are things that won't be solved anytime soon to make them super scalable in distributed systems. Mm. So and they, they are 
pretty core aspects of relational databases, though, right? That, so they are, and there are absolutely mm. ways to implement them in, in, in Cosmos DB. That's where the reference table comes back in. If you think mm. about you know, that, that parent-child table relationship, often that would be a reference to a distributed table yeah. or distributed to distributed on the same sharding key, for example. And we could, we could rat hole on distributed data architecture for a while. Mm. I, won't, I won't take us in that direction. The unique index can also be implemented using the sharding key, for example, because the, the hashing algorithm has some deterministic behavior that we, we know exactly which, which values exist on which node. So it's still possible to do these things, right? but it's not um, as limitless as, as it is on a single node. Mm. However, when you give back a little bit there, you, you win on the scalability. right? And so that's why two of the most common application patterns we see implemented today is multi-tenant SaaS applications. So think about those apps that ISVs are building, or in fact, more so enterprises are building their own SaaS apps and, and becoming software web resellers. And in that scenario, every table has a tenant ID column and you just shard on that. And it's beautifully, almost embarrassingly distributed. The other is IoT. One of the benefits you get from scaling out is that your IOPS goes with, grows linearly with your compute nodes. And so for IoT scenarios that are incredibly write intensive on IoT as events coming through message brokers, you can easily ab absorb the IOPS and provide the compute to analyze the data as it's being stored into the database. And so there are two that really shine mm. relative to, to a single node Postgres. Everything's doable. As I tell everyone, everything's yeah. doable on single node Postgres, but you know, at, at internet scale, at cloud scale, you can run out of legs pretty quickly on, on, on mm. one machine. With IoT too, I suppose that you have the the thing as well is that a lot of the streams that come in from IoT because they're sort of device based tend to lend themselves well to various sorts of uh, scaling horizontally type things anyway too. That's right. Mm. Yeah, device ID. The more devices, the better. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. The um, I suppose look compared to Postgres, where somebody just goes and gets a VM and spins up and installs Postgres, there's all the many things that they're really getting that are just part of the cloud infrastructure. So, I mean, I suppose high availability first up in uh, what's the yeah. current story? Yeah, so, yeah, the, the I'd say probably the, the, the fundamentals you would expect in any managed service. So mm. your backups, of course, high availability. So that's a, that's a synchronous high availability with an RPO yep. with zero. So obviously it'll, it'll fail over with, with zero data loss and that failover is automatic as you'd expect. At Ignite, we announced read replicas. So both mm -hmm. we already had local read replicas, but global read replicas as well. The value for that's de delivering particularly things like web-based apps. But if you think about your, the, the best example I give is like apps on your cell phone, for example, mm -hmm. that no one has any patience. We want the app to respond and update immediately. Yep. And so eliminating you know, trans-Pacific latency where possible, having a primary in, in maybe US or US or of course in Australian, region uh, that's replicating out to other Azure data centers in different corners of the planet can have a dramatic impact on the responsiveness of apps like mm -hmm. that. And apps like that as well, you know, 99.69s of the traffic is reads. And every now and then you'll, you'll pop a write and you'll just write. It's, that it's, it's funny you mention that. Like even, even in traditional business applications, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I read things when people talk about read versus write proportions. And I, I see so many people, you know, think they have like 
20 or 30% rights or or things like that. In fact, sadly, there was a person at Microsoft I was having a great argument with one day who, who thought in OLTP systems 40% was even quite common. But uh, I, I kind of tell you, in the vast majority, whenever I go and test it, it's like one <laughs> or yeah, half yeah, a yeah. percent. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's so... App- applications tend to read data so much more than they ever write data. And, and, and our... Yeah, I don't know the underpinnings of. I mean, idea. business applications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah business applications. But, but if you think about at the limit, if you think about social media, mm. like you, you hit LinkedIn. I mean, that's pretty much pure requests at yeah. that point, right? And then you're scrolling, and it's more and more requests. You might update, you might post something, one right, and then you start reading again, right? So I'm oversimplifying, but yeah, you get the point. Business apps, I think it would mm. be a heavily skewed toward more heavily skewed towards right. But, yeah, to think 50-50 is, is basically saying I'm reading every right. Well, the thing, the, the thing is you've got to find data before you update it anyway. <laughs> I mean, so, That's right. Uh, so, That's yeah, right. there's yeah. already that sort of aspect to it. But, yeah, no, no I think people just really underestimate it. And it's, it's one of the things that even in uh, relational things, I see people terribly, terribly concerned about the impact on rights in some areas of indexing and things like that. Mm. And, and you know, I've, I've got to tell you, I'm I'm for optimizing the 99 percent rather than the rather than the half a percent or one percent. Yeah, so. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So that's that that that's your question. That's sort of the core components. One of the other things we mm. now see was, actually even yeah. read replicas. You mentioned there. It's a, mm. it's something to just stop and think that if if you had to do, you know, set a, set yourself up a Postgres system where you had high availability and you had read replicas. That's not trivial to just configure no. for, for someone, no. you know, and uh, just the fact that those sort of things have become tick a box and it works, that's mm-hmm. where the industry needs to be. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Hi, this is Greg coming to you from another time and place. If you have a data related project that needs to get off to a great start with the right architecture, or if you have an existing project that's off the rails, why not contact us? We help organizations of all sizes, from startups to tier one financials, and we can help you too. Check us out at sqldownunder.com. There's, there's always more that, that you can do there uh, as well. I think you know, one of the things that we're, we're looking at right now is introducing some more hardware SKUs uh, into the platform to give mm-hmm. customers a little more choice there. I anticipate they'll land you know, relatively soon. Because private that, endpoints supported now, aren't they? Private link is there, yeah. Yeah, so so again, it makes it okay for people to more easily tie this into uh, their networks, well, virtual networks in, in, in particular, inside enterprises, so that sort of works well. Encryption? Encryption is there today with Microsoft Managed Keys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've got customer managed keys one day, hopefully. Yep. Of course, absolutely one day. I don't have a don't have a date for you today, but very high on our priority list. Mm. So looking really hard at that one. And uh, next thing, then I'm sort of wondering about it's what's your about it's what's your feeling on the current language compatibility? Because I, I know one of the things with in the case of Mongo, it, there's you know like a definition saying as long as you're using this level of the client libraries and so on that you know yep. it, it's it's pretty much invisible to you in many cases but like what's what's that level like with the postgres offering i think that's actually probably one of the strongest elements of the offering 
Uh, we are actually at the core building on core open source Postgres. Yeah. Uh, in fact, as as illustrated or demonstrated by the fact that this year we shipped Postgres 15 into the managed service about 10 days after the community released it. Oh, that's excellent. Because, yeah, it feels, well, yeah, yeah. I must admit, it, and, it feels like yesterday when I was reading about Postgres 15 being shipped. So, yeah. Yeah. Actually, the, the, only thing that stopped, the only thing that stopped us doing it the day after was that the Postgres release date landed right in the middle of the Ignite conference. Mm, and so okay. we, we didn't ship it out at Ignite. And the, the, the beauty of that for customers is that they get almost all of the Postgres 15 functionality out of the box. Like it yeah. just works. And so your Postgres has a lot of engine optimizations that just work, but also there's there are a couple of things that we haven't done yet, by the way. Merge, for example, came into Postgres 15. Mm. I, I describe that as being above the Citus waterline in the sense that we need to do some work in the distributed query engine to make merge work across a cluster. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But that's, that, so that's one element of compatibility is the fact that you don't get into this sort of perpetual version lag. The second thing is though, to the same Postgres and using the extension model, the compatibility level is exceptionally high. Uh, yep. And so it's, it's hard to measure. I don't have a, I don't have a you know, 99 point something percent of language covered. But for all intents and purposes, you know, the, the ecosystem of tools just works. And, and some of the things we showed mm. in uh, PG Admin, it's one thing for something like PG Admin to connect. Yeah. But if you take a look at the, the browser in SQL language, the object explorer on the left-hand side, it's, it's complete. Everything's mm. there. And that sort of speaks to, to the completeness of the Postgres implementation with distributed yeah. tools. I, 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 that is one of the things that I was sort of wondering about from discussion earlier there where we're, I was talking about how much I value the extensibility model. That's, then I was sort of wondering like how much that would then apply in this sort of environment. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you're doing large spatial, the cluster becomes, you're very, the, the cluster compute becomes very valuable at that mm. scale. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's a common one. The semi-structured data is another good one as well, using gene indexing. Mm. So you know, a lot of these things are just like a bigger scale Postgres. Yep. But then again, sort of with that, those multi-tenant SaaS apps as well, the scalability of them is born from the fact that only one a, a tenant exists effectively only on a single node. And so you can really scale that out spectacularly without any changes to the application. And that's, yep. I find, where you get the developers excited to say the data, the data tier will continue to scale with a couple of clicks and you're not managing shards in your application by mm. juggling a set of connection strings that you need to keep track yeah. of where everything lives. Are there, are there any, I suppose, given the fact that you're effectively emulating, I suppose in many ways, a relation, relational database of a particular type, are there any sort of anti-patterns of you know, things that would work well if it really was Postgres that, that really you should try and avoid uh, given, given the underlying structure underneath it? Look, not, not really. Well, in, in essence, we're not really emulating because mm. it, is, it is actually Postgres. It is running uh, the actual code, yep. The actual Postgres code, including, you know, all, all the way down to the storage system. And mm. so 
it's not, it's not so much there's something you would do on this Postgres that you shouldn't do on distributed Postgres because mm -hmm. the things that the examples that I gave before that don't scale particularly well on distributed systems like referential integrity and you know global unique constraints we we don't permit you to create them they're they're blocked anyway mm -hmm. and so there that's one element that you're you're trying to sort of avoid. Then you really just get down to, I think, down to, I think, some things to watch for when you're building distributed systems, which is you want your data to be relatively balanced, which means you yep. want to be sharding on uh, high cardinality columns. You know, with Citus, we give customers the choice. The one thing I will say, though, that has we, we've, we've taken some really positive feedback on hmm. is that even customers who want to move to distributed systems today, and they understand them, and they understand the shortcomings of some of those scalability elements, mm. they're coming from single node Postgres. And it, so, exactly, yes, yeah. indeed, yeah. And so what you can actually do in Cosmos DB, and, and maybe we should talk about this a bit more prominently than we do, is you can take an existing Postgres you know, implementation, you can, with, with the intent that you want to make it distributed, and you can deploy it on a single node a cluster in Cosmos DB. At that point, you're in Cosmos DB. You've got all of the managed service benefits that I mentioned before, but one node. And then you embark on the journey to turn it into a more distribution-optimized data model. Yeah. And you can actually distribute the data on the single node still. And then when you're ready to actually scale out, you hit the portal, you add a few nodes, the data rebalances, and you're done. Right. And, and so that's, that's it's, it's, um, that, I don't want to oversimplify, but yeah. Hmm, that's would you work. consider that a strength, though, I suppose, given the fact that you're already on Cosmos DB in, in that way, as opposed to running, say, flexible server as a single node as a starting point instead? So flexible server will absolutely. So the thing about if you if the service is running, if you're running on a single node of Postgres and you, you just want to stay on a single node of Postgres, right? Yep. You, you're going to have a better, it'll probably be, it would definitely be better to take that to Flex, I would mm -hmm. say. And the rationale for that is, uh, first of all, Flex is a little cheaper than Cosmos DB. Yep. So that's all you need. Then you can save a little money. The second thing is that there is a higher compatibility level. There are even more extensions available mm -hmm. in Flex. And today Flex has a couple of other yeah, Azure integrations uh, that we haven't done yet in, in Cosmos DB. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that if, the, the, I guess the key point I made earlier is like, if you have intent to make it distributed, then if you think about that journey, you can start distributing on Cosmos DB on the single node because yeah. with Citus you can create distributed tables only on one node, and then start mm -hmm. to go. Right? Yeah, and then start and so things out. You sort need of to, yeah. You you're the benefit of getting from maybe your Postgres that you're running at home to Postgres and Flex is you're absolutely migrating and modernizing into the cloud. And that's, that's pure goodness. But if you need to hop platform again to get distributed, you've got a shortcut in, in how you can get there. Mm. So, but you know, of course, not all, all Postgres applications are, are destined or intended or need to be distributed, in which case Flex, you know, you just take them straight to Flex and that's going yeah. to be the best place to go. And, and look, that, that in itself has a world of goodness compared to where I see people just spin up single nodes and run them themselves and yeah, and so on and so on, yeah. I mean, there's obviously yeah. a world, world of goodness in just that. In terms of the rest of, uh, you did start to briefly mention there, the Azure ecosystem. Again, so how well does it play with, you know, I'm thinking things like Azure Data Factory, Stream Analytics, or even Active Directory? Yeah, those so sorts of things. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So we've we've got support for uh, stream analytics uh, to ingest records directly into uh, the database. So that's 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 documented, which is the so you, you stand away, I guess, of showing support. There's also support for data factory as well. Uh, so there, you know, two I guess the streaming and bulk data ingestion uh, mechanisms. At Ignite, we announced uh, a new Postgres extension that we've written called Azure Storage, PGS Storage, <clears throat> that enables you to load data using SQL commands in, in uh, Cosmos DB directly from Blob Storage. I yeah. tell people... I, 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 think, I, I, think, I love that uh, when I do that in Azure SQL DB. It, it's, it's just one of the things I do all the time. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm surprised I, how few people do it, Bill. It's, it's you know, the... the the cloud storage is the clearinghouse of data in the cloud, right? It's the, it's the ultimate sort of centralization or yep. integration point. Even, even before you get to like data services, even virtual machines, it's easy to get something into cloud storage, right? Other, you know, SaaS applications integrate with, with Azure storage. It's just so foundational. And so that ability to load, and you know, of course, when you're loading and you're pointing at, you know, containers and blobs and storage accounts, you know, in, you know, in, in Azure, it doesn't, doesn't, really care where it is. You can have a data load in a storage account on the other side of the planet that treats it the same way and, and loads it. So that's that's another great integration that we we just did recently. Active Directory, we're not there yet. We're 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 looking at it. But again it's 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 high on the list with with CMK. I think they're probably the two that, that key vault integration for custom managed keys and AAD are probably yeah. the, the next two big ones we need to knock down. And really I'd say two of the big, big remaining gaps. Mm. Yeah, AADs uh, for me nowadays that's pretty foundational in uh, in the vast majority of things that we're implementing. So yeah, yeah, and uh, and so look, that pretty much brings us to time, Charles. Is there uh, anything that you're doing or speaking anywhere or doing anything that uh, you're coming up that you want people to know about? Or? Yeah, actually, so just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at Conf EU in Berlin, and I spoke there. It was it was a full room. Actually, I was I was really pleased with the interest that we got in in Cosmos DB. What we'd announced for Citus, both the fact that Citus itself remains an open source contribution to the community. We're up to Citus eleven uh, right now, and we'll continue to support that. And how we're we're turning that into a managed service in in Azure. I'm not sure if we're going to be speaking anywhere else before the end of the year. It's been pretty busy leading up to Ignite. But uh, certainly, uh, I'm always talking to customers and, uh, and have a lot of fun doing that. What's the uh, best way at the moment uh, for people to learn to use it? So there's, a, there's I'll, I'll say there's probably two primary ways. The best way to get started is the free quick start. That's aka ms slash tricosmosdb, the exact same free trial that for other APIs in CosmosDB. Yep. You can get started for a trial free no credit card, no subscription for 30 days. And that takes you through a self-guided quick start of the basics or fundamentals of distributed databases. Really quickly, like by step two, you've got a distributed table and you're loading data and we're explaining how distributed mm -hmm. queries work. Beyond that, I'd advise MS Learn. We built uh, a four module course dedicated to Cosmos DB for Postgres in time for the launch at Ignite. And that's a much deeper undertaking about an hour each for each module that really gets you into the nuts and bolts of the system. Once you've got through that, you'll be in good shape to, to get started. Yeah. Oh, that's good, actually. Yeah, I hadn't seen that that one had appeared yet. So that's additional. Is that part of the 
there was content up there before the learning path associated with the DP420 exam, but that was all pretty much focused on, but that was all pretty much focused on SQL API. So is this associated with any certification as yet? or It's, is it, it's not yet. That'll be the, the next thing. Yeah, that'll be the yeah. next thing, yeah. The mm. first thing was to drop the <clears throat> drop the content so people could learn it, and then we'll go and hook that into one of the Cosmos DB certifications. Yeah, uh, good ask. So well, listen, uh, thanks uh, so very much for your time today, Charles. Most Thank you.